wake us up in the morning. <laughs> well, praise the Lord for that. But you know, when God designs, what God's desire and design for us is infinitely higher than we ourselves are attempting to achieve. But we do have an enemy that is attempting to destroy God's purpose for our lives. And this is what I want to share with you today from God's word, a view and a vision of what is going on behind the scenes in our lives. The Bible clearly says that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers of wickedness in high places. And I'm here, we're gonna answer some questions today. Dear sister, you brought out a question in Sabbath school about people saying, I pay my tithe, I do this, I pray and all this, and where was God when I had all this trouble? Well, we're gonna find some answers from God's word to these today. But right now, the great responsibility of the time we live in now leads me to feel a need in my heart for God's help. So would you kneel with me as I pray? Oh, dear Father in heaven, from your quiet and calm eternity, you order that which your providence sees as best. Right now, we are fully aware of the, the nearness of Jesus coming. We are fully aware of the nearness of the cruels of probation for our lives. And Father, we recognize and feel our need for your help right now. We invite your spirit to be here and your angels to be here to escort the evil angels out and to give us a clear grasp and understanding of your word and the plan you have to rescue us from this awful condition that we're in. We desperately need you, Father. And in Jesus' name and for his sake, we ask you and thank you and praise you, Father, for your time that we spend in rest and in your care for us this Sabbath day. We thank you, Father, for this. We thank you for your promises. We thank you for your presence in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you turn with me to Daniel chapter 10? We're going to start there. You know, we've read these things for years, but our focus has never really been on some of the things that I want to share with you today. Uh, you guys look for it. I'm going to begin reading, and then when you find it, you, will, will, uh, you catch up with me, okay? Verse 1, it says, In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia. Now, remember, Daniel, as a young man, was in Babylon, right? But then the Medes and Persians came several years later and took over. So here it's saying that he's in the third year of Cyrus, the king of Persia. Uh, a thing was revealed unto Daniel. In other words, he's an old man when this takes place. He's not a young kid. He's lived a life dedicated to God. He's lived a life of faithfulness and, and loyalty to God. And he has this experience that something was revealed to him, which is in chapter 9. And whose name was called Belshazzar. This is, that's his Babylonian name. And the thing was true, but the time appointed was long, and he understood the thing. 
and had understanding of the vision. I ate no pleasant bread. Verse 3 it says, no, uh, verse 2 it says, In those days I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. Three full weeks, 21 days. He was heartbroken because of what he saw in that vision. And that was a vision of when his people would be in trouble. And, and he saw these visions of what was going to come to place. And it, it troubled him so much. For three weeks, three weeks, he says, uh, in those days, I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. Verse 3 says, I ate no pleasant bread, neither came flesh nor wine in my mouth, neither did I anoint myself at all till three whole weeks were fulfilled. In other words, he didn't eat, he didn't drink. When he said he didn't anoint me, he didn't bathe. He was so troubled by this, he couldn't, he couldn't think of in terms of his own life and taking care of himself. He was just so troubled that he dedicated himself to prayer. And in the four and twentieth day of the first month, as I was the, by the side of the great river, which is Hedekau, then I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a certain man clothed in linen, whose loins were girded with fine gold of Orphez. His body also was like the barrel, and his face as the appearance of lightning, and his eyes as the lamps of fire, and his arms and his feet like the color of polished brass, and the voice of his words like the voice of a multitude. Who was this man? Where do you find that confirmation? In Revelation, uh, John sees also vision, and he sees this same but John identifies him as Jesus. <sighs> and I, verse 7 says, And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men that were with, the men that were with me saw not the vision, but a great quaking fell upon them, so that they fled and hid themselves. Uh, there was an earthquake. Daniel saw him. But the men that were with him didn't see him. Okay. And they were so frightened, they ran and hid. There is coming a day. There's coming, you know, Sister White says that the angel, that when the people come from the grave, their guardian angel is going to meet them. And you know what's interesting? She says, they're going to recognize this angel by his voice. Because they cultivated a lifestyle of listening to that still small voice. Both the angels and the Holy Spirit trying to appeal to their heart to walk in this narrow way. But these men, they didn't hear, they didn't see this man. They only felt a terrible earthquake. Where else was there an earthquake? That when someone came, a heavenly being came. Where was that? At the cross, right? God came there. The cloud of darkness surrounded the, the thing. And God was there with his son. And it said the earth quaked. We have no doubt who this powerful, majestic being this is. He rules the universe. We're not playing... 
with a foolish story. We're here, and, and what we're called to, what we're called to be, is men and women after God's own heart. The greatest privilege ever given to a human being in the universe. God said, let us make man after our image. And in our likeness and after our image. The image of self-sacrificing love and purity. In another place it says, then in the presence of God is the fullness of joy. Can you imagine what God is calling us to be? But anyway, going on. Uh, Verse 8 says, Therefore I was left alone and saw this great vision, and there remained, uh, re- there remained no strength in me, for my comeliness was turned into me into corruption, and I retained no strength. It frightened him so bad he fell to the ground. He was terrified by this vision of this being. Yet heard I the voice of his word. And when I heard the voice of his words, then I was in deep sleep on my face and my face toward the ground. And he behold, a hand touched me, which set me upon my knees and upon my hands. And he said unto me, O Daniel, a man greatly beloved, unto thee, oh no, he said, greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak unto thee and stand upright. For unto thee I am now sent. And when he had spoken his words unto me, I stood trembling. And then said he unto me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that thou didst set thine heart to understand and to chasten thyself before God, thy words were heard, and I am come for thy words. I'm going to begin to answer one of the questions. We pray And where is God? Because it appears like he doesn't answer. It appears that we have these troubles and all these things on every hand. And yet, his promises, did they fail? Did his promises fail? No. Turn to me, uh, Psalms 77. Turn with me, Psalm uh, chapter 77. We'll begin with verse 1. Ah, beautiful, precious, precious statements. Verse 77, it's verse 1, it says, I cried unto the Lord with my voice, even unto God with my voice, and he gave ear unto me. In the day of my trouble I sought the Lord. My soul ran in the night and ceased not. My soul refused to be comforted. I remembered God and was troubled. I complained and my spirit was overwhelmed. Thou holdest my eyes waking. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I consider the days of old, the years of ancient times. I call to remembrance my song in the night. I commune with my own heart and my spirit made delight, diligent search. Will the Lord cast off forever and will he be favorable no more? Is his mercy clean, gone forever? Does his promise fail forevermore? Hath God forsaken the gr- to be gracious? Hath he in anger shut up his tender mercies? 
and I said, this is my infirmity. But I will remember the years of the right hand of the Most High. I remember the works of the Lord. Surely I remember thy wonders of old. I will meditate also on thy works and talk of thy doings. Thy way, O God, is in the sanctuary. Who is so great as our God? Here he's talking about the troubles in his life. And he's almost to the point of questioning whether God is going to be gracious to him. And how many of us, and I know I've been through this in my own life, wondering, is God really there for me? Is he really going to help and, and, and reach or bring comfort to my heart in my time of need? And this is where we, we went, where Daniel's at. This being who was, uh, this was Gabriel that spoke to him. The being he saw was Jesus. But this is, the Gabriel is the one that touched him and said, Oh, Daniel, fear not. From the first day that thou didst set thine heart to understand and to chasten thyself before God, thy words were heard, and I am come for thy words. Now, this is what I want to show you here. Verse 13. From the first day that he knelt to pray because he was so troubled. Now, remember, this took 21 days, right? He knelt down and asked God for help. He wanted wisdom. And, from, and Gabriel tells him, from that moment that you knelt down, I was sent. But verse 13 says, But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one and twenty days. But lo, Michael, one of the chief princesses, came to help me, and I remained there with the kings of Persia. In other words... I'm going to ask you this. When it says the prince of the kingdom of Persia, who is it talking about? What being on this universe would be bold enough to interfere and defy an angel sent by God to give a message? Satan and Satan alone would be so stupid to, to defy God and stand in his gable's way. Now why? Why did he do that? And this is what my, the, the whole message I'm going to share with you. I'm going to try to explain this to you in as clear a language as I can. Do you know why he stopped that? Because as every time Daniel prayed, Satan accused him before God. When he, the angel came the first day, Satan said, you cannot interfere. He does not belong to you. He belongs to me. You know how we know this? You know how we know that this is the case? You turn with me to Job. Job 1. We're going to see something. Wow, amazing. Amazing. Job 1. Okay, verse 6. It says, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. Now, 
This is my humble opinion that I believe what happened. These sons of God were representatives of unfalling planets throughout the universe. And it's insane to think in the billions and billions of stars and billions and trillions and trillions of planets that this is the only inhabited planet. It's insane to think that. But these members of God's heavenly family came to, uh, for a meeting with God. They presented themselves with God, the representatives. Had Adam not sinned, Adam would have been included in that group. But who shows up? Satan. He shows up. What, what happens? And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? Why are you here? What business do you have here in this meeting? And Satan says, Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. What does that mean? It's to and fro and up and down. I go wherever I want. Why? Because he claimed this is to be his kingdom. And he claims all of us to be his, his subjects. You want me to show you another place where that happened? You turn to Jude 9. Remember that Moses, he was faithful to God for 40 years. Obedient to God in every way. And, but God told him that that last time, the, the second time he was only to speak to the rock. He was never to hit that rock again. God is very fond of symbols. And God is very upset when we choose by our own foolishness to, to destroy one of his symbolic gestures. And here Moses got a frustration because of the hardness of their hearts. He struck that rock. It was God's intentions that Moses would to lead them into the promised land. But tragedy of all tragedies, after 40 years of building up with these people, he hit that rock. And God could not, could not allow him to go into the promised land. Now, was that because it was an arbitrary decision on God's end? Well, you said you got me angry now. Now, you upset me, Moses. You ain't going in. Is that true? You think that is the, do you think that's the scene of what we know of God? No. You know what really happened? You know what really happened? Satan stepped in and said, you cannot allow him to go in. You cannot allow him. Now I'm going to tell you this right now. We are in the worst court battle of eternity. Right now. Satan is trying to develop a case against us to accuse us before the universe. You cannot allow them into heaven. You cannot. They belong to me. They show their loyalty by their lifestyle, by their actions. You cannot allow them to do that. And that's what happened to Moses. Come on, brother. It's so simple. It doesn't take a chance. It's not that bad. It's not that important. How many of us have had, who's heard those words in our mind? But he is attempting right now to establish a legal claim to our life. He's attempting to establish a legal foundation to deny us eternity. 
That's what we're facing. That's what's going on. And this is where it gets to be kind of interesting. You know when Daniel was kneeling there and faithfully praying for 21 days? Do you know why he wasn't eating and drinking? Was it because he wasn't hungry? Was that it? No. Somehow he understood, and we understand that he understood this by the early, his early life, when his diet was, had a direct bearing in the, his mental capacity to understand this spiritual battle. He understood there was a direct correlation between what you eat and your lifestyle, your living practices, and your spiritual perception. He understood that. He was so troubled by this vision that he could not risk eating and clouding his mind. So, faithful to God as he was, he chose not to eat so that his mind would be clear. He was so troubled. This was such an important vision that he could not risk being clouded mind. He had to. He knew he was in a... Because he was, it was the entire Jewish nation that he was concerned about. This was so significant that he, he really knew that he had to have a clear mind so that he could grasp the things of God. And it was because he was so determined to spend that 21 days in prayer. Why is it that sometimes that God does not answer? We pray for a long time. And it seems like he doesn't answer. He doesn't hear. God don't care about me. But you know what? That statement is a lie that came from the mind of Satan himself. It's awful. You know, turn with me to Revelation chapter 12. It's amazing. We're going to show you a character sketch between God and Satan. Verse 10. Oh, wait a minute. Uh-oh. Oh no, what did I do? Let me see, where is it? Well, ah, I goofed, I put down the wrong text. But it says that Satan is the accuser of the brethren. 1210 is? Okay. Ah, yes. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come the salvation and strength. Oh, yes. Precious. Listen to this. Now, I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength. And the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ for the accuser of the brethren is cast down which accused them before God how often? 
Even when you're sleeping, enemy is accusing you before God. This is serious. We do not live a day without the enemy challenging God's right to bless us, to help us, to give us wisdom, to give us peace. We do not live a day without that. Uh, turn with me to Mark 3. The book of Mark, chapter 3. Fabulous statement. Oh, I feel so blessed when I read that, when I read this. 3, verses 1 and 2. And he entered, this is Jesus, he entered again into the synagogue and there was a man there with had a withered hand. And this is the Pharisees in the, and the temple priest inside the temple, in the synagogue. It says, and they watched him. Whether he would heal this man with the withered hand on the Sabbath day, that they might accuse him. Who was behind the spiritual, the spirit of these men? Absolutely. If you see someone come that could lay hands on a crippled man, person suffering, and pray, and see them delivered and healed, wouldn't that be a joy? But these men could not find joy in his efforts to heal people. They could not find joy in that. This is where we were talking about in Sabbath school about having the truth. If you have the truth, but the truth does not transform you, it will destroy you. Well, I know the truth, and you're not following it. You know the truth is? If the person had the truth, it says that Jesus would often have bitter weeping in his voice when he announced his, his scathing rebukes. Now, you want to see what Jesus is like? Turn with me to John chapter 8. Ah, beautiful, beautiful statement. We're looking at the difference. The difference between Satan, his claim to the ruler of this earth, his claim that we are his subjects. And yet, we have this other side to it. Uh, verse 10. When Jesus lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, this is when they brought her, they brought her to accuse her. It said, this woman being in sin, we caught her direct. Well, the law actually said that both she and the man was to be equally stoned. But you know what else Zyrages points out? That many of those priests that was there was responsible for leading her into that lifestyle. And they were not about to do that because they know that they themselves would be condemned. But Jesus saw through this. He saw that their aim was not justice. 
Their aim was to trap him. But it says, listen to this. You know, I, I'm going to say, right now, on a, in relationship to ladies, I want you to understand, if you look at Jesus, the four Gospels, every time Jesus reached out to justify or to defend someone's honor, it was always in the defense of a woman. Real men, real men, would be like Jesus. You know, I think one of the worst things on this earth is the fight between men and women. The real fight or the real awful thing that exists is where, especially, you know, like how often you've heard, well, men say, well, I got to go check with the boss. Well, symbolically, the wife is the role of the church. God never intended for the church to rule him. Symbolically, God intended for the men to be the leaders of the home. Not to be the boss at a home, but to be the leader. A true leader leads by self-sacrificing example. Okay? If men were real men, if men in their families, in their homes, were the high priests of the family, were the men that God expects and hopes for them to be, then it would be very easy for a woman to submit. Because it would not be based on cruelty or control. But, because, but it would be for her highest joy to do so. <laughs> you know, come and give you a hug and say, I'm so happy you're here with me. Wouldn't you want to stay then? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But so much of the issue, Satan is trying to get between these families. If he can divide them, he can destroy them. You know, the greatest privilege he gave women was the right and the opportunity to, to create life. But here, here Jesus, okay, he says, he lifted up himself and saw none but the woman. He said unto her, Women, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? And she said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. If this church was like Jesus, people would want to be here, especially when they're in trouble. They know their life is not right. They know that their destiny is death. And if we were like Jesus, they'd be here. They'd be here because they'd see the life power of meeting their creator through the relationship with the church. All too often, we have the truth. You're not living the truth, brother. We have the truth. But if that truth doesn't transform their heart to be like Jesus, it will destroy them and everyone around them. You know what I mean? Okay. Can you imagine how she felt? She's sitting there waiting for these stones to hit her terrified, knowing her life would be lost if she was to die then. Can you imagine how terrible that would be? Condemned, knowing she was guilty. She knew she was guilty. She didn't know nobody to tell her so. And then he said, has any man condemned thee? He said, no man. He said, neither do I condemn thee. You go and sin no more. 
you know, when she went just before his, she, you know, that she, you know, it's incredible. Do you know that she is the only one that listened to what he said and believed what he said? And you know where the, you know where the evidence of that is? She was the one that bought that alabaster box. It, what, the, by what it cost, it was about a year's salary. She bought this alabaster box and thought that she was going to anoint his feet and his head secretly. But the fragrance filled the room, and then she was discovered. You know what? She was the only one that believed his words, saying that when I go to Jerusalem, the Son of Man is going to be taken prisoner and going to be killed. And none of them believed him. None of them grasped it. None of them understood it. But she did. Her love for him was so deep not because he was a handsome guy. The Bible says he was not, had no comeliness that we should desire him. But she found in him someone that would heal her heart. Loved her despite her foolishness. Loved her in such a way that being the wretched person that she felt she was, he had that touch. The balm of Gilead that restored her to wholeness. Can you imagine? And you know what? Sister White says that when God's people, when the character of Jesus is fully reproduced in his people, he's going to come and claim them as his own. Do you know why he can do that? Do you know why he can do that? Remember, he says, this gospel shall preach in all the world for a witness unto me, and then the end may be coming. No, it says, will come. The earth in general has not been given a demonstration of self-sacrificing love and purity. They have not been given that example yet. But, I'll tell you this, there is coming a day when God's people, there will be a group of people. I, I, when I, I'm going to say something right now, and I'm going to get into trouble for this, but I've got to say it because it's the truth. And I say this with fear and trembling in our self. There's a majority of Christians are not going to be saved. Because they deny Jesus' character. They refuse to realize that, like um, Revelation, Laodicean message said, to him that overcometh will I grant to sit on my throne as I overcame and my, sit on my father's throne. Heaven is going to be those who have had the image of God fully reproduced in their life. The standard that God holds is as true today as it was for Adam and Eve. Obedience to God's commands. And not for the sake of him being the thing, but it was like we were talking about in Sabbath school. Choose life, not death. But I want us to see very clearly, like John 3, 16 and 17, 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. We read that, everybody knows that text, but 17 is even more uh, impressive and important, and they should really go together. You can't separate them. It says, for God sent his, not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. God is not the one trying to hurt us. God is not the one trying to separate us and destroy us. But so that we are very clear, this is my prayer for today, to be able to get through to my own heart as well as to you, that we have an enemy that has filed an eternal claim against us. Daniel, that brother was faithful all his life, and yet even as an old man, Satan was still challenging God for his life. Moses, faithful for 80 years, says that he rather choose uh, to be with the children of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. And yet, because of that one act, Satan claimed that he was to be left in the ground. And you know what? You know what's so sweet about that? The angels could do nothing to stop his claim. They could do nothing to refute the claim. Gabriel, 21 days, he, he came to, the, to Daniel. He was commissioned by God, right? God gave him the order, go and tell him. That's what it says. But he couldn't go. Why? He couldn't get past the accusation and the demand of Satan that you, that you don't help because he belongs to me. But this is where it becomes a joy. Why are we acknowledged to, to persevere? Because there came a point which the enemy had an opportunity to prove his point. And this is one thing I'm going to share with you guys right now. And I have a terrible, terrible time with overeating. And simple, oh, that's not that bad. Go ahead, eat one more. You know, what's wrong with it? How many times we compromise on various things. And, it, and to everyone, the enemy has a trap for everybody. The skinny people, obviously, they don't have a problem with overeating. Well, maybe they do. They just don't manifest itself. You know what I'm saying? But it says, the, the rule, that watchword is, to him that knoweth to do good, and doeth not to him is sin. Okay? The other one is, anytime, anytime we're faced with a dilemma, God always, through the Holy Spirit and through the guardianship of the guardian angels, will let us know what our duty is, where our duty lies. And by our very choice, and you know what? There was a pastor once said, in the, you know how sometimes uh, things are said in sermons, and you go out down there and say, what did a sermon? I don't remember. I don't even remember what he was talking about. How many of us have done that? You know what I'm saying? But in there, once in a while, somebody will say something that you can never get away from. It's so precious, so deep, so 
the impression is so clear that you don't, it stays with you for life. This one pastor said one of these things to me one time. He says, Satan cast his vote for our destruction. God cast his vote for our life. And the real tragedy is that you and I are going to cast a deciding vote. We're going to cast a deciding vote. That's the reality. And we have to understand. This is why I want to share with you about this dilemma, this battle between Satan and God. That Satan has what he feels is a legitimate claim for our life. And what he's asking for is not for us to live, but for us to die eternally with him. That's his servants, his kingdom. When he dies, his kingdom's going to go with him. That's what he wants. Isn't that horrible? It not only hurts God, but it denies them the eternal presence of the fullness of joy. What a horrible, horrible person. And you know what Sister White says about in Great Controversy? That when the, the, you know, when the wicked and the righteous collectively see him when the Jerusalem is coming down and he he's going to marshal everybody to try to attack that city, you know what they're going to say? Wow. Is that who's been causing all this trouble? Why? Because he will be seen as the foolish phony that he is. Not this mighty being that had so much wisdom. You know that the unfallen beings, I mean the fallen beings that fell with him, there was a door of opportunity open for them to return to God and to repent. And you know why they didn't go? I broke my heart when I read what it said. They didn't go. Because he represented to them that they were so vile that God would not accept them in that condition. And they believed him. But you know what? Every statement he makes is based on a lie. What is God going to do? What is God going to do to reach our heart? Turn with me to Acts chapter 26. We're going to see one of the things that God has done Start with verse 14. This is where he calls Paul. It says, And when we were fallen to the earth, I heard a voice speaking unto me, and saying in the Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for you to kick against the pricks. And I said, Who art thou, O Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. But rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for the purpose, for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness of both of these things which thou hast seen, and of those things in which I will appear unto thee. Delivering thee from the from the people and from the Gentiles, unto whom now I send you. To open 
their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and the power of Satan unto God that they may receive forgiveness of sin and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. These great men of the Bible, God sent for the purpose of helping us to understand the standard that he has given the human race. And that is to be like Jesus. To help us to turn, to turn from this spiraling condition. You know, we talked about earlier about having, you know, like my friend tells me, he said, you know, every morning I spend time in prayer, reading the Bible study and praying and singing. He sings his guitars and sings, and in about one hour he'll sing praises to God. Country and Western style music. But that's what he understands. And he said, but he's got so much trouble in his family. Where's God in it all? And it's very hard to explain to him and show him because he doesn't, spiritually, he doesn't understand, doesn't grasp the depth of this. But God's there all the whole time. The reason why this is happening is because the enemy is attacking. You see, what happens is when we kneel and pray and we say, Lord, help my children. Do you know that your spiritual life is going to have a direct bearing on whether or not your children are saved. When we pray and ask God to reach their heart and, and lead them into a loving relationship with him, the Satan's there and says, no, you can't do that. Look at their lifestyle. Don't tell me that's godly. Come on. Just one more little piece of pie. When we know better, It's designed to build a case, a legal claim against us. I want to share with you something. Remember, how many, how many times have we heard in our life that God said yes, no, or maybe? Right? Have you heard the pastor say that? God always answers yes, no, or maybe. Well, let's see if that's true. Turn to me, 2 Corinthians, chapter 1, verse 20. Okay? We will find out if that's true or not. Do we believe our senses? Do we believe our feelings? Or do we believe, as thus saith the Lord, believe principle based upon the word of God? Verse 20 says, For all the promises of God in him are yea, yes and in him amen unto the glory of God there's no such thing as yes no or maybe with God let's turn to um, Matthew okay Matthew uh, 6.33 I'm kind of the time is getting run out so I, I have so many other texts here to share but uh, by the grace of God, we shared a lot, but I just a couple more texts I want to share with you. And, and we're going to see something really sweet. Verse 33, it says, 
Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things. What does the word say? Is there any question? Is there any doubt? Is there any shadow of turning in that, question, in that word? Is it? With God, it's yes and amen. You seek first the kingdom of God, what is it all boiled down to? You know this issue that we were talking about Sabbath school, about worship? It all, you know what true faith is? Just believe, right? Is that it? What is the true faith then? Hmm? True faith, my dear. I love you dearly, honey. I'm going to tell you this. True faith is loyalty. True faith is loyalty to God. You believe that he said it, it's going to happen that way because you're loyal to, to him. What did Job say? What did Job say when, he, when the wife said, curse God and die? First time, he says, he says shall, we, shall we receive good from God and not evil? Can we justify living a life just taking, 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 taking from God all the good and not we, we exempt from any kind of trouble in our life? And what was the final statement that he made that changed everything? He said, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. His loyalty to God was not questioned. He knew without question in the depth of his soul if God determined that his life should end, that he would believe and trust that God's decision was the best for him. True faith is loyalty to God. Every day we live our life, Satan is filing a claim against our eternity. He casts a vote saying that we are to die with his kingdom. We are subjects of his kingdom. And every day, that sweet, gentle voice of God is saying, oh, why would you die? Wouldn't you turn from your ways? One of the hardest things for God to do is to convince people who have the truth that they're in trouble. They have the truth, but the truth has not transformed them to conformity. Where does he say that? What's the Bible text that says that? We are increased with goods and in need of nothing. And he said, but know ye not that you're poor and blind and miserable and naked. But does he leave you there? What is the call? To repent? Or what is repentance? The foundation. What is the basic principle of repentance? Is to recognize that you're in desperate need of help. Help that only God can provide. God is the only one that can rescue us from this condition. I have so many other things I wanted to share you, but I want us to change. Well, it's time is long spent.
Turn to Hosea chapter 10. Verse, and we're going to read verse 12. Chapter 10, verse 12. This is God's call to his people. We, God is not caught unaware. There is statements in the Bible that covers every single need. God understands our hard hearts. God understands our desperate need even if we don't understand it. But here, Hosea 10, verse 12, it says, now this is where it's making the distinction between the two classes of worshipers that we talked about earlier. Okay? Sow to yourselves in righteousness, you're going to reap mercy. That's the bottom line. Satan is trying to get us to do some silly little thing. And you know that every day we, we, we go through this test, it's not, God is not testing. How many times have you heard that God is testing us? How many times we've heard that through the years? Haven't we? Well, why does God need to test us if he knows our hearts already? The test is not for his sake. The test is allowed for the eternal being's sake. We are going to make the choice to determine who our loyalties lie with. And right now, Hosea 10, 12 is the call. It says, break up your fallow ground for this time. To seek the Lord till he come and rain righteousness upon you. With our understanding of the truth, we need to be gathering together, not to chit-chat and laugh and tell jokes, but we need to understand our desperate need in this desperate hour. We need to understand it's time that we break up the fallow ground. You know what fallow ground is? Unplowed ground of our hearts. That the truth can be planted. And the truth that it's speaking of is not the truth of an assent to biblical uh, statements. But the real truth is to have the character of God implanted in our hearts. That we can be that loving Christians that God intends. There is going to be a group of people that God will be able to entrust the final warning message to us dying and wicked world. Tragically, and this is the truth, he said that many are called, but few are going to be there to that's going to be chosen. And why? Because they know the truth, but they have not allowed the truth to transform them to be like Jesus. The want of the world is the want of a loving and lovable Christian. It is Satan that is attempting to destroy us. He is the accuser. And I'll tell you something, among church members especially, there's a lot of that goes on. But anytime you voice in an accusation against a brother or a sister, you are speaking 
for the enemy. Jesus, even if they are living in sin like that woman was, he said, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Her heart was crushed by his kindness. She was never the same. And when Jesus' character is fully reproduced in us, it will produce a person that God would want to have come home. Thank you for letting me share with you.